Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Whatever you need. We probably don't have it, but ask anyway. Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 208, Under the Cloak of War, comes to you now via malfunctioning biobed. And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode. Yesterday, Pete, Secret Invasions finale was given the podcast treatment by us. And looking forward to doing the season nay series wrap next uh, Secret Invasion Saturday. The final Secret Invasion Saturday. Yes, we will chew over the series and all the ramifications, both short-term and long-term but Matt, the Emmys, the first casualty here of the dual uh, Writers Guild and uh, Actors Guild strikes. Indeed, this while there are news stories in the last week of uh, short-term cash gains by the studios, you know, because they're not spending money to make stuff and haven't had the pinch of not having stuff to put out yet while also uh the same studios are looking at the theater owners saying hey enjoy uh barbenheimer because probably there's a long cold winter that starts in a couple weeks in terms of people not going to the movies and then content dries up or content gets moved so the studio is laughing all the way to the bank while Actors, writers, craftspeople, and theater owners and theater workers are all left in the lurch. All of which continues to beg the question, is Ahsoka safe for its announced August 23rd two-episode premiere? Pete, let me be devil's advocate here. I have no doubt that the entire cast has already filmed a bunch of promos that can go online that have been you know the sit down sit downs with the hollywood reporter and deadline and variety stuff that can be on social media i have no doubt that all of that has already been filmed furthermore again devil's advocate and i'm putting on my studio suit here for a second um is rosario dawson the star of ahsoka or is star wars the star again devil's advocate here Pete, they already made one Star Wars show where you don't see the guy's face. Who needs to have an actress out there when it's called Star Wars and it's on Disney Plus? From Star Wars back to Star Trek, Matt, for the first time in nearly 57 years of the franchise, this week, Star Trek will have a musical episode. Will we have a musical podcast next Pete- week? I have been pra- I've been doing my mommy made me eat my M and M's to, to to get the, the the vocal cords ready. Uh, I've been rubber baby bubby bunker to, in order to get my enunciation correct. It is weird that you also have asked uh, us to do dance and choreography training. This is still just an audio only podcast, but I'm ready for whatever next week might bring. With that, let's head to this week's mission briefing. Captain Pike records a log on Stardate 1875.4 as the Enterprise arrives at the finally peaceful Prospero system thanks to a Klingon general 
turned Federation ambassador Doc Ra, son of Raul, for a rendezvous with the Kelsey May to transport him to Starbase 12. While most of the crew did not fight in the Klingon War, some did, making his arrival difficult. It's just raw, but Pike is courteous nonetheless with all the bosun whistles. Ra asks for a brief tour of the flagship. On the bridge, Uhura is a fan of his ambassadorial work, whereas Ortegas, who has the con, merely acknowledges he's done some stuff which could constitute a long con job. The slaughter at Lombada 5, the siege at Starbase Zeta, Athos, all Ortegas knows are the stories that he's called the Butcher of Jagal, rumored to have killed his own men to cover his retreat. Her words still hang in the air as Number One announces the captain on the bridge and Ra marvels at the view and credits the Federation with having better ships. This opening here, so typical of a, a standard and wonderful Star Trek Strange New Worlds story moment in that we are picking up minor if not uh, barely used elements from prior episodes. You know, last week, Ortegas, war hero, that was underlined. Same thing here, the the very kind of TV-friendly, he's the butcher of Jagal. Um, again, what could be a throwaway line, indeed, ends up being the crux of the whole thing. Uh, I, I, Pete, we've all been there. I know, maybe not you, Pete, you who are practically perfect in every way, like Mary Poppins, but for the rest of us, the whole putting your foot in the mouth and saying something when your back is turned and so forth, our heart goes out to Ortegas even as we, I think, are all trying to navigate the truth of the capital T here. Are we Team Uhura? I think we are all aware Ortegas is the, the the war veteran here and perhaps has more insight, even as she talks with Jagal and senior staff behind her. Uh, I like very much that as they move on, of course, this is not a scenario where Pike is going to lay into her for a variety of reasons, but he gives her the extended angry daddy pike eye uh <laughs> yikes that's enough to put the shiver down anyone's spine not i'm mad at you i'm disappointed right worse than getting yelled at jagal of course name checked by Mbenga in the season two premiere uh and related of course to their use uh his and chapel's use of performance enhancing enhancing drugs in the lounge, Spock and Lieutenant Mitchell are working out Roctagino recipes in honor of Ra's visit. Spock is curious about his culture, but Ra calls his people warmongers, limited by ideology. When Ra burns himself on a freshly replicated mug, he growls and Spock apologizes. They bring him to sickbay where Mbenga and Chapel are taken aback. By his presence, Mbenga seeks the safety of his office as he is overwhelmed by post-traumatic stress. 
amidst all the more serious topics that the episode is is sliding into and has done here as Mbenga has this this panic attack to the nth degree um in the prior scene in the lounge i did like the little shell game of what are they making what are they making they're not going to name it it looks like a ractagino mug then finally we will name ractagino um yet another example of how the show can keep its eye on big details and small alike uh as chapel is handling this visit here we go to the credits the episode written by davy perez and directed by jeff w bird we return into a flashback to the moon of jagal a few years ago uh pete on the one hand i would have liked a more specific time frame so it could neatly fit into memory alpha and things of that sort uh but also now we avoid any sort of kind of continuity issues by simply saying it's in the past during the Klingon War, and it's a few years ago. Shuttlecraft, one, two, six, four, eight, ferries Chapel into the theater of war by transporting her down instead of landing. Chief Medical Officer Commander Buck Martinez, who looks pretty familiar to Star Trek viewers, welcomes her to the under-equipped, overworked forward operating base. They don't have an internal organ regenerator, despite repeated requests, and she's just been promoted to head nurse because she has the most experience. He even lost a case of Romulan ale getting her there. He shows her their tent city and advises her to enjoy her downtime as she catches a glimpse of Joseph Mbenga doing so when an alert sounds and patients are transported in great seeing clint howard uh i hope goes without saying he a veteran of the first season of the original series and many star trek maybe not many but multiple six or seven star trek episodes since then deep space nine uh enterprise and discovery coming to mind uh also pete kind of surprised here to see how joseph and benga is really quite fit um but they don't linger on it uh the wounded are beamed in and triaged this one shock this one have a lay down uh the computer declaring that repetitive incoming transport over and over obviously setting up uh its story use as the episode goes on uh though many are scratched and bruised and things of that sort it is alvarado who beams in with a gut wound internal bleeding trauma for all his major organs uh, we are reminded that the internal organ uh, generator does not exist here. Uh, and Benga notes that they need to move him off the pad lest others die. So not only is there drama within the moment, but hammering home that uh, you know this transport pad is the is the place for the wounded to be leaving the battlefield and and getting help. Uh, how can they? How can they? Uh, attend to Alvarado when they can't attend to Alvarado. Mbenga has this transporter workaround. He's going to get beams into the buffer. The data kept there as a pending transport in the buffer. Uh, of course, a familiar notion. If you look back at the future story, which is season one and Mbenga and his daughter and all of that. Uh, and also just a, you know, obviously an important setup for later in the episode. Love the way that, his experience in the war obviously informs that and perhaps matt 
to come. Vegas log on Stardate 1875.8 details how BioBed 2 has shut down again. It hasn't been the same ever since the Gorn attack in Finibus 3. Pike comes to see him for some Delton parsley from his apothecary. Mbenga advises him to be careful as it's deadly in excessive amounts. Pike came to procure the herbs in person because he wanted to check on him and Chapel after they served on Jagal. After a minor protest, Starfleet has ordered veterans to interact with Ra to make him feel welcome, but Pike doesn't want to make them uncomfortable. They say the right things, but don't feel them. Pike's hosting a dinner, and they accept his invite. As he leaves, Chapel says they can still dip, but Mbenga doesn't want to give Ra the satisfaction of chasing him away from the captain's table. Pike here performed as tender and tentative. It's another episode where Anson Mount is not necessarily at the center of the drama here, and I think that his his acting prowess is uh, is being put upon in a very effective way, you know, as opposed to him stepping up to camera and saying, let's fire those phasers. Many emotions are being evoked lately, particularly in this scene. Uh, we flash back to the Jagal surgery bay uh, off the line of uh, Chapel being told in the present day that we got this, or Chapel saying it, pardon me, in the flashback. Chapel is saying it, Mbenga is saying it to her. They're losing a man on the surgery table. Mbenga tells Chapel to grab the man's heart and to start pumping by hand. It doesn't work at first. This is when Mbenga tells her, we got this, we got this, say it with me. The heartbeat comes back. Uh, surgery successfully completed, at least in this emergency stage. The dermal team is called in as this surgical team of Mbenga and Chapel are off to go care for more wounded as wounded are incoming. Mbenga finds Ortegas pacing outside the captain's quarters, and she expresses her distaste for their guest. She blames her bad poker face and asks why he didn't decline the invitation. Mbenga says there's a chance Ra has genuinely reformed but Ortegas doesn't think so and doesn't want to play along. Benga advises they put on the Starfleet face. It's a good face. Plus, Pike made Jambalaya. Ra holds court, and Spock doesn't pick up Chapel's distress as Pike introduces Ra to Mbenga. Spock chats Ra up, and Mbenga hits the booze and refills chapel in this scene and future spock chapel ones in the episode uh one could have made a slightly easier episode if the spock chapel sub subplot was not a, a part of it i don't think the the main narrative would have suffered one bit however it's absolutely fascinating uh, no spock pun intended to see to see chapel going through her own ptsd scenario here and just the the bitter sad irony that spock cannot feel for her you know it's one thing to say ack i am afraid that there's a scary thing over there okay spock can find some context for that 
Uh, similarly, if there's a you know a lingering emotional thing, I am still uh, afraid today from what happened yesterday. But Spock is completely removed from the notion of PTSD, particularly through the realm of uh, wartime service, battlefield horrors, and so forth. And, and I really credit the episode for sticking with this subplot, small as it might be, because it's just great, great character stuff. In flashback, the patient they saved talks about Roz, how Roz men tortured him, but kept him alive. The ensign is from Earth's moon. An Andorian soldier with one eye looks on and outside tries to recruit Mbenga to take out Ra, who's ordered his men to kill anyone who isn't a Klingon soldier after torturing them. He asks Mbenga what he's doing hiding out when he has the most confirmed hand-to-hand kills, but he prefers saving lives. The Andorian wants Protocol 12, which Mbenga says was discontinued, but the soldier heard he still has some. He tells him he heard wrong, but didn't Mbenga design it? He could make more. Pumping bodies full of adrenaline and pain inhibitors is detrimental, but the Andorian's team needs an edge. Back at the captain's table, uh, the, the the stories here reach a point. How can a Klingon speak for the Federation? Uh, the answer is that, in fact, it was the Federation that saved him, especially after the difficulties of Jagal. Umbenga now inserts himself into the conversation, saying he was there, and uh, Chapel says she was as well. Uh, and and the the takeaway here that ideals shifted for Ra. Indeed, that's a result of such battles. Uh, Pike offers platitudes. War is never the ideal. Uh, and I think that, again, you know, Anson Mount is tasked with not being the star of this scene and having a line that is emotionally correct. But uh, I would propose, Pete, that for those who have much greater insight into the the trauma that Mbenga and Chapel have, much greater insight than you and I, um, they're hearing Pike's words with with great hollowness because, of course, war is never the ideal. He can say that, having sat the war out, uh, and part of the message of the episode is sometimes it's the necessity. Ortegas asks Ra if the story of his escape is true, and he raises a glass to the survivors. Ortegas speaks Klingon, which Uhura translates, but... Ortegas corrects her on the meaning of the battle cry, remain Klingon. Yet another um, orphan that Discovery has bequeathed to strange new worlds. Um, She recalls hearing it before she lost compatriots. She stands up and number one tells her to stand down. Ra just wants to help heal war wounds. Ortegas leaves and Chapel says she's going to check on her. Pike apologizes. Uhura compares Ra's perspective to Anar existentialism, and Pike notices Mbenga's tension, suggesting he 
check on Ortegas as well as he takes him up on it, but not before Ra grab, grabs his arm and brings up that La'an told him they practice full impact Makbara and wants in. Mbenga will check his schedule. We flash back again to Jagal, where the ensign whose heart was uh, hand pumped to keep him alive steps out to see the sky, catch a uh, breath of fresh air. Mbenga finds him. The ensign says that he joined Starfleet to explore and to learn, not for combat, for none of this. Mbenga joined to help heal people. Starfleet has let him learn. This war is a disease that is eating the Federation. Yes, the Klingons need to be stopped. All need to remember what we love from back home and fight for that. If you don't fight, you don't win, and the disease takes over. The fight here continues so those at home can live in peace. That is the takeaway of Starfleet. Later, Mbenga asks Chapel why they aren't being briefed. And she says, loud talking special forces, Lieutenant Baal Trask, the Andorian from earlier, has black ops orders to go find the Klingon leaders. The Ensign's platoon is leading the charge, which Mbenga tells him is a suicide run and threatens to order him on bed rest. He discounts his earlier doubts in their cause, and Mbenga advises him to stay low and fight hard as the briefing begins. And indeed, the the conflict, the contrast of it here, the notion that special forces are going after the leadership with the attack on Colony Althea as a big diversion, uh, it's a diversion that is a meat grinder, uh, a suicide mission, and that is what the Ensign is walking into. Uh, the scene wraps up. Uh, with Trask saying they've got the word and the word is now. We go back to the present day where Spock is acknowledging to Chapel that he is not completely understanding the situation. He is trying to understand. He wants to help, but he recognizes that his presence is only making it worse. Chapel notes that war does not leave. It's always there. It might fade into the background, but it's never gone. Spock starts to cite statistics about the battle, but for Chapel, it's more than numbers. He recognizes that she needs personal time, and having recognized that, he turns and leaves. Uh, and I love the camera work here. It stays with Chapel, even as Spock kind of walks away into the background there, uh, and she kind of slumps against the bulkhead. She needs the personal time. She also should not be alone, I, I would dare say, argue. Uh, and it's that contrast of, you know, because because of this great trauma within her, uh, neither option is a good one. Flashing back to the final conflict here where Ross sent all he had. They need a transporter fix, but it will purge the backlogs. And she realizes Alvarado's still in there. Benga mercifully purges the buffer so they can receive new patients. In the gym, Ra admits he thought Mbenga would decline his invitation, but Klingon judo is good exercise. Ra doesn't want him to hold back. They spar, and Ra proposes Mbenga help spread his message. Mbenga asks if he really killed his own men, 
and he says he did it to prevent further bloodshed of civilians and military alike. Mbenga asks, which of the three warriors fought the hardest? Which strikes Ra as odd before he says Kif fought the hardest and nearly killed him, but he endured for the nameless victims and earned his nickname. They spar some more, and Mbenga has to hold back. Ra thanks him and leaves, grabbing his cane. This is seen more potent on rewatch because it's here that the you know that, that that more and more lies are coming out as Mbenga showers in the sonic shower uh he he flashes back to the battle two wounded beaming in children beamed in the the comment shared with him that children are being killed luckily not the one that we see on screen uh but the atrocities mounting uh we have what really is a wonderful kind of montage swirl of emotion. We have past dialogue and what's going on in the present of this flashback and so forth. Track, uh, Trask repeating that civilians are being killed, uh, that there needs to be a quick and silent solution to take out the Klingon leadership here. We see as time swirls, many bodies in body bags. Trask is dead. The Klingon, a Klingon blade on him. The ensign dead too. Pete, I must darkly note with story admiration and some some stomach turning uh response on my part you know there the ensign is with a slit throat and all of that just uh you know the the horrors of war albeit star trek horrors of war on display for this brief time mbenga grabs the klingon knife off the starfleet victim from the makeshift morgue in the ready room in the present pike reads up on mbenga's service record when number one enters with a shortcut through the Chantico Nebula in order to hasten Ra's delivery to Starbase 12 and lift dropping morale. Pike questions how they can bring peace if people can't get a second chance and number one agrees, but their crew members might not find forgiveness easy. Pike authorizes the course correction. On Jagal, Chapel realizes Mbanga is going into the action. She says reinforcements are on the way, but he gives her a device to find him, telling her not to beam him out until she has to. He had hoped to return to his family unchanged, but realizes it's impossible. She tells him to put an end to it and make them pay, and he gives her a vial of Protocol 12 that she use if the Klingons breach the wire before he heads out. Pete, I would like to propose that this scene does what we so oftentimes say on the podcast. It adds one more line. Uh, initially, I, I thought that this transport beacon uh, what are they going to do with it in the episode? And it does not come back to play. No, no, no. The flip side is true. If Mbenga just went off into the wild to go kill as many senior officers as he could, the question would be, so how did he get back? Instead, with the one line of, here is a box, push it at the last possible second, fine, we don't see the particulars post the, 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 the butchery here. We don't see how he gets beamed out, where he's beamed to. Guess what, Pete? It happens. I know this because he gets out uh, and continues on with his own Star Trek adventure. And 
a small but I think really important scene. Yes, in the introduction here of Chapel to the performance-enhancing cocktail. In sickbay, Banga opens his footlocker as Ra comes to visit at as his time on the Enterprise is being cut short. Banga asks him to leave um, and uh, not absolve his conscience here. Um, and Mbenga eventually begs him to leave and accuses him of the order to kill everyone. Um, Mbenga tells him it wasn't Kif who fought the hardest, but Captain Release, because it was he who killed them as Ra escaped, making Mbenga the butcher of Jagal. Ra admits shame in his cowardice. And Mbanga laments the blood on his hands made Ra a saint. Mbanga opens his footlocker to reveal the Klingon blade, and they struggle behind the privacy glass, which Chapel overhears. Ra falls, the knife in his chest. Later, Chapel tells Pike and La'an that she saw the whole thing, which we no is not the case uh she recounts the uh, the story where mbenga called ra a war criminal and then ra attacked mbenga laan looks suspicious but is quiet in this scene um the notion that this is the blade that did the butchery uh relating to the butcher of jagal that all checks out there in sickbay pike goes to see mbenga pike uh, you know, again, once again, I will say, despite the fact I'm repeating myself, Anson Mount is not the star of this episode, but once again, he's been given a somewhat kind of emotionally challenging scene here. This is not, you know, there are four lights kind of challenge, but he needs to go in there to speak to his friend, not his subordinate, to state there is going to be an official inquiry, but it, it, it does seem it's going to work out. But if there is more you need to talk to me about is in the subtext here. Uh, Joseph, you can, you can say that to someone who has known you for uh, as long as we have and so forth. We could work it out if there's a different version of the facts here. Mbenga highlights that he did not start the fight, uh, that it was Ra that did. Uh, however, what if the circumstances were different? What if Ra had murdered children personally? What if Mbenga started the fight then? Uh, and again, I think this, we increasingly with increasingly are with Mbenga here, if we haven't been the whole time. Pike states due process. Mbenga retorts that the diplomatic corps essentially has been turning a blind eye to the facts of the past the entire time. So you mention due process. What about justice? Uh, this is This is heavy stuff here, Pete. It's the morals of allowing second chances versus the idea of unredeemable acts. Mbanga didn't start the fight, but is glad Ra is dead. Pike leaves, and Mbanga records a log on Stardate 1877.5 that Biobed 2 is working again, at least for now, but he knows it's only a matter of time before it shuts down again as it glitches with a system alarm. 
Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with Ambassador Ra. Really interesting to cast this ambassador as a complete and total coward who uh, gave the order, but of course got himself out of there. He's given the credit with uh, wanting peace so bad he killed everybody else. And now he fights just for peace, but he's a hypocrite and a liar. Agreed. However, it's, it, it's an unwinnable, uh, I won't say scenario, this being a Star Trek podcast, but it's kind of an unwinnable uh, argument here. Are his lies worth it if he sows enough peace after the fact? It's it's a fascinating uh, discussion, with which ties into the larger threat of this episode, that of war. And, uh, you know, Star Trek Discovery fans could tell you about the necessity of this war, yet how close to the brink it brought the Federation, yet our ideals shone through. Uh, and this, an episode, of course, looking at the uh, the burdens after the fact that war can leave. It's another great instance of where Strange New Worlds is informing these characters who have been in Star Trek for nearly all of its existence to know now that Obenga, uh, you know, Chapel veterans that not only did they uh, fight, but uh, lost patients, obviously that it affects who they are in the present, uh, that they remain scarred by it, that they've done terrible things in the name of the ideals of the Federation. Um, and it's really affected them throughout their lives. Well, Pete, that then brings us to uh, certainly in the climax of the episode, one of the great threats in this tale, and that is Dr. Joseph Mbenga. Yeah, uh, self-defense, but come on, the shadows behind the privacy glass. Uh, he was clearly agitated. Um, yeah, uh, Captain Daddy's uh, going to protect him and the whole nine yards. And then, Matt, what we'll explore in theories, um, where's the body? I think they've put him in the pattern buffer and uh, just like was done to the ensign, uh, he will be kept alive and Ra will be tortured and not mercifully put down. I think there is a certain brilliance to having the fight in question happened behind the the privacy glass. Now, Pete, I don't want to be overly informed by yesterday's Secret Invasion podcast where we talked about uh, how a story could be impacted by its ending and we talked about reshoots and things of that sort. I will observe that for this episode, the we see, obviously from afar, obviously from the other side of the glass, we see the fight uh, happening. Then there's a quick shot of Chapel from afar reacting to that in the next shot she is in uh mbenga's office it had me wonder in the best sense if maybe placing we the audience at a distance placing us on the other side of the glass doing a quick pickup shot of chapel to establish that as much maybe indeed the through the frosted glass maybe it's 
two stunt people in, in a shot that was done later i don't know but th there is this briefest hint the chapel goes from one end of sickbay to the other in a quick edit and i wonder if they elevated this episode by by not giving us the definitive you know it is mbenga defending himself or it is mbenga killing with justice or killing with justice question mark instead we we get that that question mark elevated by keeping the whole story our whole perception of the story at literal arm's length pete let's set our long-range sensors to scan for some theories i think that it is more than possible this notion of the pattern buffer of a uh, of a revisiting of uh the raw character and so forth however I will at this stage politely and vehemently disagree. I think that the broken bio bed was put into the story to really hammer home the notion that something, the bio bed, someone, Mbenga, Chapel, others who have borne this great burden, uh, can, can be so broken on the inside and putting on the Starfleet face, um, it, you know, may be a protracted case of uh faking it unlike last week it's not fake until you make it it's just you keep faking it because there's this thing that can't be fixed yeah um and not denying that that's possibly if not probably the case but what do we know about Mbenga? ultimately no longer enterprise's chief medical officer he is in the original series maybe just maybe matt He's on some kind of rehabilitative service tour that, uh, hey, you're there when McCoy can't be. You're a you're a substitute because you got in big trouble after uh, this guy that you admitted um, did it and was awful. And you're glad he's dead was uploaded into the patter buffers of a bio bed so that you could torture him the way he tortured people you attempted to heal. Stepping back, I marvel that we get this episode uh, on the heels of what clearly, you know, the, the last week's or last half week's episode, those old scientists clearly designed to be star trek reflecting on the joys of star trek yeah uh, and there's nothing wrong with that at all right and, at and all to palate cleanse next week with a musical yeah well exactly hey, hey guys need need an antidote to this super duper dark episode how about song even going back the last couple of weeks charades yeah uh, uh, you know a delightful um not quite farcical i mean there was some there was some heart at the end but on the lighter end Ditto, you know, Lost in Translation had some of the weight of hallucinations and, and, and you know, some minor characters lost along the way and so forth. But you also get Jim Kirk back doing all his Jim Kirk stuff. And you got the trio sitting there at the end. You, you kind of leave these episodes feeling good, feeling good. This is the most emotionally potent episode in 18 of, uh, of Strange New Worlds. Um, and for as much as this is the light show that perhaps, perhaps, uh, has taken the discovery model and said, actually people want optimism most of the time from Star Trek. Um, 
and people want that uplift most of the time, this is an episode that nonetheless says we're going to leave you not feeling great. Um, and I would even dare say, Pete, and with the utmost respect, maybe give we the uninitiated in that way that drama can give you, you know, a, a whiff of romance, even though you're not Romeo nor Juliet, or a whiff of uh, fear, even though there aren't snakes on the plane, that sort of thing, to give you the little slightest bit of insight to what these fictional characters have gone through and what what many real life people have gone through in service. It could have been perceived as a uh, franchise offending continuity uh, slight that uh, Clint Howard's character here, uh, Chief Medical Officer Commander Buck Martinez, didn't trade some Tranya to try to get Chapel there, except um, the Enterprise has not meant uh, uh, Balak just yet um and uh so the tranya they wouldn't have been necessarily exposed to although it, it could have been cool if he got a hold of it some other way i think it's enough that you get clint howard back again and and you get to extend this i mean truly there must has there ever been a longer span of time within uh, you know, a story universe, which finds story universes are fairly more recent uh, invention and so forth. But to think that back in 1966, when he shot his handful of scenes, that all these years later, uh, he he would still be guest starring in Star Trek. It's it's just quite a thing. It is the Protocol 12 serum now. It's good to get a little bit more than here. Take this uh, super soldier uh, gamma ray green stuff. Okay. It's, um, adrenaline, it's pain inhibitors. There is a science and an explanation now to it. So that while unexplained in the season two premiere, we now get the background. I think too, it also exists in an appropriately murky story place, which is to say, if they're stuck on a season three story and they're like, we just can't figure out how in the world we're going to get these people out of the cave in out of when the crab monsters are surrounding them, whatever it might be. You have this, you have this, uh, th th this goo here that can be the power up to get you out of it while still coming with, you know, and Benga saying, but I'm not going to make more, but we know that he has made more and all of that. It's just, it's, it's a tool there for when you need it story-wise. Benga worried about losing his family when he returned from war. Obviously, we know about Rokia and the uplift of saving her, but at the same time, the tragedy that she's got to go off into the nebula and he can't be with her. Nothing about uh, a spouse. So uh, could that... And obviously his time in the war uh, ultimately be explained. I, I think there's a lot of dramatic potential to state now by implication and perhaps later in an episode um, that his, his spouse, if indeed he did have one, his, his pairing, uh, that it, it, it too was impacted by 
uh, you know, residual effects of the war and so forth. I think that's that's a powerful story uh, addition, if indeed we are reading it correctly, and um, you know, kind of further fleshes out this character, which, as you've said a couple of times, is of course a, a classic Trek character by two episodes, but obviously not a not one who has been well known across the fifty six years. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We go to the website hosted on Twitter.com to see how people voted in the poll for this episode. Uh, the bottom rung, one star, no Boimler, Mariner, Kirk, uh, got 0% because it's a very different kind of episode. Two stars left me a bit down, got 2.4%. Three stars, quite good, got 16.7%. And then four stars, excellent, got 81%. Some replies here. JT Adkins, JTA is me, says, I very much appreciate the way this episode treated a very complex topic as complex. I'd be curious what combat veterans would think of it. On a lighter note, there's my old pal, Clint. Uh, next, we hear from uh, at Diana Bodenberg on Twitter, who says, Strange New Worlds does not disappoint. Getting in-depth about Mbenga's and Chapel's time in the Klingon War was interesting. I didn't get why Pike made them come to dinner, though. He had to know that would be terrible for them. Mbenga is a bad man, Majama, just saying. They did a really good job addressing the issues veterans deal with having PTSD. Pete, to her topic here, I don't know why Pike did it. Uh, I think that sometimes uh, we, and I will... I, I will include myself in on this. Sometimes we don't, we say we understand what a service member has been through, but we don't always live it. We just say, you know, ah, whatever. I've spent the time feeling bad for you. Now, why won't you do this thing? Oh, there's an issue, whatever. And I think that, again, I give the show credit for kind of painting Pike with that brush, not not through malice, but just through ignorance. Seems kind of cruel, too, of Starfleet's brass. Yeah, 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 we know you were in the war. Now make nice nice with this guy. Come on, because future. Because optics, yeah. It um, it strikes me as uh, similarly ignorant and also probably... <sighs> Probably there are plenty of plenty of people with experience in in this arena that would say, yep, that that also rings very true uh, for the brass to be saying such a thing. Uh, we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139 on Twitter. This Trek version of MASH was a dark, compelling hour of TV. Though I've never served in the military, I've had deep feelings for what Mbenga and Chapel went through on Jagal. Ambassador Ra was a delicious adversary, a bit of a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm surprised that there weren't surveillance cameras active in sickbay, but I guess not. Mbenga's actions could be the reason he isn't CMO when Kirk is captain of the Enterprise. We know there's at least one CMO between Mbenga and McCoy, Dr. Piper. Uh, I will correct him, Pete. Dr. Piper from The Cage predates this. Um, but back to Spider-Ham Lincoln's words. Does Mbenga step down? Is he demoted? Will there be consequences for what happened, uh, I hope the powers that be uh, revisit war stories like this at least one more time. And it was neat to instantly recognize Clint Howard, if only uh, he had offered someone a drink of uh, Tranya. Uh, and a reply to that tweet comes from uh, Lethargic Action Hero, hashtag Save Prodigy, aka Jay Z uh, 
B-E-L-E-X-E-S on Twitter, who says, I think Ra proved to me more sheep in wolf's clothing. He was a coward who fled than took credit for the deaths of his men to hide under the white flag of peace so as not to be held accountable for his war crimes. Pete, that is in one sentence the the complete and proper and utter damnation of the ambassador here. It is. We're so used to the mythos of the Klingons, you know, the bloodshed and everything like that, and have one cut against it, yet still wrap himself in the familiar. It's a great character affectation. We hear from Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983. Another great episode. Nice to have some backstory on Mbenga. Chapel was great too. This season continues to shine. We hear from Prodigy Deserve Better at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. Always nice to see a little more backstory for the characters. Uh, and I did not see the butcher twist or its ending coming. This show knows what it's doing. Guess we know where Mbenga got the idea uh, to, to hide his daughter uh, into the transfer, transporter buffer. Uh, penultimately, Pete, we hear from Brett Desmo Williams, BW Desmo on Twitter. What a great episode of Trek. Is Babs Olusumanikon not the shining star of this show? So much emotion. And Jess Bush, so much talent on a single Trek franchise. Stories that awe, amuse, touch, and just entertain. Okay, I'm drinking and tweeting, Xing. Good night. Uh, and yeah, I mean, this is this is a tour de force by itself. And you look at it in context with the other episodes and wonder what can't this show do. L- last tweet here from at Gunner JCH reminded me of Duet and in the Pale Moonlight. Can't wait to find out how this impacts Mbenga and Chapel down the line. Spock too, actually. This can't be good for their romance. To the email inbox we go, Pete, and uh, first one is in reference to a comment we had made last podcast. It comes from uh, from Frank in Wales. Subject line, exploding tricorders. Hi, Matt and Pete. This reference to exploding tricorders probably refers to the now infamous uh, TOS episode Arena that originally included uh, introduced the Gorn. Uh, interesting as the relationship is now being impressively impressively reimagined in Strange New Worlds. In the initial ground engagement, the Gorn lock on Spock's tricorder. It starts to smoke and hiss, and once thrown away, is seen to explode. Uh, FYI, the Orion Scout craft appears to be an homage to the TOS episode Journey to Babel. Regards and stay fantastic. That's from Frank in Wales doing some great gumshoe work. Absolutely. Pete, we hear from uh, Alan Thomas, who says another solid episode. I was a little worried early on because over the years when Star Trek tries to do gritty war drama, it just doesn't feel like it's a franchise forte. But other than a couple of minor hiccups here and there, they really pulled it off with aplomb. The conflict stirred up amongst the crew played out in an interesting way, with Ortega showing more depth than just being the quippy wisecracker, although I don't mind her in that mode, the way some fans seem to. The ending was an intense and unexpected twist. I imagine some fans will not be happy to see a Star Trek show feature one of the good guys committing murder out of a thirst for vengeance, but I appreciate the complexity of characterization it demonstrated and the moral question left uh, that it left us to ponder. Pete, that raises a question in me. Do you see what Mbenga did as murder or justice? He is convinced it's justice. There's the righteousness there that we have to do what has to be done in order to bring peace. 
We hear from Stacy Thomas, who says, Hi, Matt and Pete. Strange New Worlds has me all discombobulated this week. First, they give us an extra ep. Then I thought the musical episode was this week, so I was ready for another fun one. Oh, Took God. me a bit to, <laughs> to reorient this is myself. musical? <laughs> yeah, this is... this. Uh, indeed she says it took me a bit to reorient myself for the seriousness of this one i can certainly imagine she goes on to say starfleet is primary for primarily for exploration so their view screens are massive compared to klingon birds of prey uh few that look pike gave ortegas uh that's a ta- we'll talk about it later look nice to see clint howard he plays buck perfectly been a field medic for long enough to know that they have to make do with what they have because they never get what they need and i'm always amused by someone who mixes metaphors the way he does uh pete we didn't talk about it in the body of the podcast here but the dialogue that they do give clint howard is fantastic it is and his delivery on top of it uh stacy goes on to say is delton parsley the star trek equivalent to blowfish only good (laughs) if you make sure not to use the poison sacks I struggled with my feelings towards Pike in this episode. I know he has to be diplomatic, but he has real people here now hurting because of Ra's presence. I think he intentionally didn't notice uh, that both Mbenga and Chapel were lying when they said they were fine. I think Chapel meant it when she said Starfleet is about making peace with their enemies, just not that she's okay with dining with Ra. I appreciate it later in the episode when number one sees how it's negatively affecting the crew and advocates for them. Mbenga helping Ortegas be able to attend the dinner was a nice moment. If you pretend something long enough, it becomes the truth. So they'll put on their best Starfleet faces and pretend the war doesn't bother them for one night. Ortegas gives one great eyebrows, ra- eyebrow raise here. Spock is also great. He sees Christine in duress. She tells him what he needs, and he does what he can to make it happen. This was a hard episode uh, to do my usual stream of consciousness note-taking, especially with flashbacks to Mbenga and Chapel's time in the field. Jess, Bush, and Babs Olusanamunikan killed it both in flashbacks in the current time. Their portrayal of the trauma and PTSD, PTSD they were experiencing felt so real. And that Protocol 12, performance-enhancing drugs for soldiers, that's harsh stuff. Then the last scene with Mbenga and Pike. I get Pike wants to connect with Mbenga, wants him to talk. But Pike sided with the enemy, joked with him, laughed at his annoying self-important stories. That's hard to get past. As to Pike, and to Pike's question, who decides who pays and who gets redemption? I would say, why can't we have both? Why could Ra have not had consequences for his role in the war, as well as doing all he did to av- advocate for peace? This was such a strong episode. As always, I'm looking forward to your thoughts. That from, and I read directly here, Pete Stacy slash Stingray slash TrekGirl88 on Twitter, not X because Elon Musk isn't the boss of me. Wow. <laughs> you tell him. Um... There's a believable aloofness to Pike that only humanizes him. You know, he's the benevolent diplomatic leader, but there's just that little touch of him that is not quite on the wavelength of these war veterans. Pointed out that, well, the Enterprise wasn't in the war, so it's not an experience that he shares with them. So no wonder he's out of touch. Pete, we hear from uh, Josephina, who says, well, didn't really get much of Ortegas, but she was the center focus to get the plot going. She set the stage for the episode in the beginning and at the dinner table. Would like to see her experience during the war. They should have put a trigger warning before the episode. 
uh, because they really captured really well what combat veterans deal with. Some of us come back with wounds that cannot be seen. Mbenga's interpretation was on point. Some things break in a way that can never be repaired, only managed. Seeking revenge is real. During my deployment, we had a Marine blackout and did some unspeakable things. America didn't find out about it till seven months later. It was all over major news stations in May 2006, but it happened in November 2005. It was a mess house. Bush didn't know uh, what we were doing, literally. Enough with the heavy. Toward the end of the episode, when Mbenga pulls a I want Cersei to know it was me moment, Game of Thrones reference, Mbenga was being slick, asking Ra how he killed his officers who fought the hardest. Talk about catching someone in their lie. That line, using the blood in my hands to make you a saint. Oof, this writing was on point. Ra's lies and deceit were his undoing. He set himself up with going on record, stating he killed the officers. So it makes sense he'd use the same weapon to, uh, to, attempted, uh, to attempt murder of Mbenga. Oopsie, Mbenga's off the hook. The field hospital scene when the CMO was giving chapel a tour was hilarious. He'd run it up the flagpole and see if it quacks. Oh, and the desensitization of incoming is real. One time in Iraq, the army side was serving pecan pie in their chow hall for lunch. You best believe a few of us Marines showed up. Lo and behold, we got uh, incoming outside their chow hall. I was more pissed at having to evacuate than almost dying. Yes, I ran with my slice of pecan pie with my bare hand and my rifle in the other. Uh, like a fat little body, priorities man, no shame. I was laughing at their tent city because I stayed in a few huge tent cities, once in Kuwait and another in Iraq. Tents in a row, as far as the eye can see, uh, that could easily fit over 50 service members. They were just missing. The Burning Man uh, concert. Anyone else noticed the planet the war was on never really had daylight? Uh, they couldn't regenerate Alvarez from the transporter, uh, bring the casualties and put him back in, face palm. Pete, let me pause her words for a second. I think that is a fair story criticism. I know the story wanted us to show loss in the moment and the cruel, the cruel mathematics of it and the fact that Mbenga could act. And I kind of, I cede the point emotionally to the way the show did it. But you can't argue with Josephina's logic there. But back to Josephina's words here. Uh, I think the Ready Room episode was interesting to hear what the actresses, actors went through to put themselves in characters amazing. Melissa Navia's interview about her backstory pulled at my heartstrings. Will Wheaton did a good job addressing the sensitive subject about her late partner. As you all probably know, Ortegas is my favorite character. Hearing Melissa Navia's take on Ortegas makes me like her more. I felt like she was talking to me. Uh, silly, I know. Okay, I said enough. I'll leave you with uh, when Mbenga was talking to his young patient. Quote, all of us have to remember what we love most about back home. We fight for them. We fight hoping it doesn't change us, hoping we don't come home different. We have to fight so the people we love can have a chance to live in peace. That's Starfleet. Uh, Semper Fi, Pete, that from Josephina. Real perspective here from Josephina, which almost makes what we see on the screen seem trivial. So thank you for that. Pete, we wrap up feedback by hearing from Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 8. Whoa, very heavy episode. 
really in contrast to the previous one and if I believe the announcement also in contrast to the next one I don't know if I would have placed this episode in between a Lower Decks crossover and a musical episode. I'm sorry if that's a spoiler to anyone, but it has been all over the social media and the official announcements as well. I found it a very heavy team with PTSD, no redemption for war criminals, And I also got a little bit confused about the story. I really should watch it a second time. But because it's so dark, I actually don't want to watch it a second time. What I could appreciate is the interaction between Mbenga and Nurse Chapel. It was really good portrayed how they bonded and helped each other. It gives you a complete other look on those two. Perhaps a little bit unexpected, but I will leave it at that. Oh, by the way, I did watch The Princess Bride and indeed I didn't like it. What I liked about it was Peter Falk who was telling the story. I really loved him as Colombo. And the amount that Carol Kane was in that is 1 minute and 15 seconds, by the way. And about Benny Hill, you asked last time, Pete, because your grandfather liked him. Well, I do like a little bit slapstick and Benny Hill is quite slapsticky. And although I'm not into comedies, I did like and even gave a 10 and an A plus to the last episode. But that's because there is a kind of humor that I do like. I found it fantastic how Boimler and Mariner played the geek fans so recognizable possibly of our own behavior okay that will be all greetings fred from the netherlands oh fred the princess bride i'm glad you enjoyed uh peter falk um but it it is a uh a close to modern classic uh at least you've seen it now so you have that frame of reference Pete, our coverage of this week's episode and indeed the entire Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2 journey is made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek and our thanks to all who keep us listeners supported. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to uh, contribute at, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Can't contribute right now? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating in seconds or a review that uh, helps us just as much. And Pete, let's keep the Star Trek conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on social media? You can find me on Twitter and on threads at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, J K L R K E T E L A A R 12,707 followers and falling on Twitter. Uh, and Pete, while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantastic.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and threads where we are fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the pH all one word like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we are back on Saturday for the Secret Invasion series wrap-up. And, of course, back next Sunday for the all-musical, or largely musical, 
debut of Star Trek, the musical, uh, and looking forward to that journey. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. We got this. <laughs>